Welcome to Off the Bench with Danny Cannell. Danny Cannell. Back to throw versus Danny. Pete is tight end. And Raja Bell. Bell has done three three. 22 to Raja. It's all the future of football right before your eyes. Just yell it out, man. He can't guard me. Welcome back to another episode of Off the Bench with Cannell and Bell. Um, Danny is back again with us from New York. How did it go last night in spin? I think everybody wants to know. Yeah, I kept it super low key and I'm glad I did because it's kind of like hot up in the city and in this place it was a little hot and it's a huge too. It was a really cool place. Like it'd be awesome, uh, you know, to get together. We should all do it. Like we should, we, when we go on the road, we should do it, but it was super hot and everybody was kind of dressed up. That was the other thing I realized. I was super underdressed for yesterday. Like everybody's in there with their, uh, you know, like blazers and button down shirts and I'm in there just wearing like golf shirt, not a golf shirt even. It was like, kind of more casual than that like just and it was a little bit awkward because I was so underdressed but there were dudes drenched in sweat from playing ping pong and as soon as I saw that I'm like that will be me if I start playing so I just kind of hit like played left-handed like just kind of goofed around and just kept it super low-key well played chill Danny well played smarter play I don't think there's a worse look than somebody in like a sports coat um, playing ping pong in a full sweat. Like, that's just a bad look all the way around. Um, yeah, brutal. anyway, we got a pretty cool show. We've got, uh, like, J- your boy Jalen Ramsey came out and he's got some pretty controversial, uh, statements in a GQ interview. John Gruden, uh, with kind of off the wall quote. Um, we got some quotes on LeBron. There's some preseason NFL, uh, tonight, but let's just start it with Jalen Ramsey in the GQ interview where he evaluated, I mean, most of the NFL quarterbacks. Um, <laughs> And he was pretty wide open and honest, I think, which is pretty refreshing. Um, but l- let's start with Josh Allen. This is the first one we got on the list. Um, he says about the first the first uh, round pick for the Buffalo Bills, um, I think Allen is trash. I don't care what nobody say. He's trash. And it's going to show, too. That's a stupid draft pick to me. We played them this year, and I'm excited as hell. I hope he's their starting quarterback. <laughs> I love my man Jalen Ramsey. Just going all in on these dudes. This reminds me of a radio segment that I used to do because we used to rank, uh, put the quarterbacks in different tiers. And it was like one of them, one of the tiers would have almost been the trash tier, like the garbage tier. There was another one called Beyonce. Like that was the top tier was the Beyonce tier since she's the goat. We had like a meh like tier. But Jalen Ramsey essentially did that with all the quarterbacks. Like he just went through them, which I like if you're a quarterback, you're looking at it. You're like, oh, please don't target me. And he just put all these dudes on blast, and some of them are really hard to argue with. Like, if you watch film of Josh Allen and to what he's done so far this year, you probably say the same thing. Now, the thing that is crazy is that you usually don't hear these types of comments from guys going in on other NFL players, whether they're on your team or not, because he just basically goes around the league and puts targets on everybody's back and just calls them out. So, all right, I'm going to ask you uh, two parts. All right, first, I want to ask you about some of the comments on specific guys, and then we'll talk a little bit more about whether or not, if you're a coach, you actually love him being out there kind of putting that bulletin board slash target material up there. So let me go down a few. He says, uh, Deshaun Watson, Carson Wentz, this is two-part, uh, are both future MVPs for the next five to ten years, the two of them. You know why he probably said this is because he knows them best. Like, cause they were, yeah, you know, I think they were in the same class. Almost they're his era. They were in the same. Right. Yeah. They're his era. They're the young guys. They probably hang out. They see each other at, you know, football card shoots, uh, different offseason events, draft lead up process. 
you know, you have all these different opportunities to get to know these guys. So he's probably tight with them. He tweets out. I mean, I've seen him go out to Sean Watson, like, you know, heaping praise on him. So it's easier to kind of send love their way. So I'm sure that has something to do with it. But I do think he's right. Like, those guys have shown a trajectory so far that they are the next crop of quarterbacks that could be the, you know, the Breeze, Brady, and uh, Roethlisberger of this class. So I think he's, or Rodgers too. Like, he, I think he is spot on on that one. So I, I think that one was a good, good aspect. Um, it's Ryan Luck. And I'm not, yeah, sorry, Andrew Luck. Not that good. Yeah. Well, so here's the thing. Jalen Ramsey hasn't played in the NFL when Andrew Luck has been healthy and when he's been tearing everybody apart and when right. he was the next, you know, supposedly this next up-and-coming quarterback. So for him to say that, like, he hasn't seen him be good, so he doesn't know. And he hasn't. I'm sure he hasn't broken down much film of Andrew Luck. By the way, speaking of Josh Allen, did you see his response? Like, it's really not. uncomfortable. They actually, all the all these guys, a lot of them have been asked about what, you know, hey, what do you think of Jalen Ramsey's comments? So Josh Allen was like, well, what'd he say? And uh, they told him. And then he said, so he gave, like, inst- I wish they would have come back and, like, put him on blast a little bit more. I think that'd be more entertaining for the NFL. So he came back and said, he's not on my team. He's not my teammate. It doesn't bother me. I don't care one bit. I care about my teammates, what my teammates think about me. But I wish he would have come back and been like, well, we'll see when we play on the field. I'm going to go after him all day long or something. You know, like, right. I wish he would have gone in on him a little bit more. So we could get to all the, like, I mean, he said Matt Ryan. I'm gonna, let me read the Matt Ryan quote real quick. Um, he says, I think Matt Ryan's overrated. You can't tell me you win MVP two years ago. And, and then last year... Uh, you are complete bust and you still got Julio Jones. There's no way that should ever happen. I don't care. You know what that tells me? That tells me Kyle Shanahan left, went to San Francisco, got Garoppolo, made Garoppolo this big thing, and now Garoppolo is a big name, and now Matt Ryan has this bad year. So basically he's throwing a lot of shade at Matt Ryan. But the bigger question for me is when you're talking about these guys going back and forth is would, would you, as the NFL – uh, support some of this trash talk. Now, I know as a coach or as a general manager, when you look at that, you don't love it because you're the guy in the fight every day. You don't want other teams to have a target on your defense or your cornerback or or what have you. But as a league, as a league trying to drum up personality and compete on social media platforms with the likes of of the NBA and so on and so forth, like this, I think this is a good thing. It is. You know who it's really good for is Jalen Ramsey. Yeah. Like think about the guy, the, and it's really hard on defense. To stand out, like look, the, the marketable players in the league are quarterbacks, right? There's a handful of other guys. There's Odell Beckham. Um, you know, you've got a little bit of Antonio Brown. There are some other players that become, you know, famous. But if you look at the defensive side of the ball, especially a defensive back, who's the most well known besides him? It's probably Richard Sherman. And Richard Sherman was a guy who was constantly chirping, and that's kind of how he made his bones. When he put out his, you mad, bro, at, at Tom Brady, when he had the meme that was out there, like when nobody knew who Richard Sherman was, it put him on the map. And look at what everybody and their brother are talking about today. It's Jalen Ramsey. It's, you know, you, the, the Josh Allen is an afterthought. The Andrew Luck is an afterthought. But everybody knows who Jalen Ramsey is now, so it's good from that perspective. But as far as the league I don't, they're always so like old school, protect the shield. It's, you know, the team. It, I don't think they love it, but it was, it was like, it's clean cut trash talk. It's not like he was dropping F-bombs in there. It's not like he would, went anywhere that like was inappropriate. So from that so, standpoint, I'm like, good, good for him. Keep talking. Yeah, no lines were crossed. There wasn't any personal shade thrown at anyone. And quite frankly, like when you go down the list, you may disagree with, with a few of them, but these are personal opinion and a lot of them are kind of like, Right, right there, like you know, right. it's not like this is exactly. 
Yeah, that's yeah, really I, interesting. I'm spot on with you. I thought I thought he was like a lot of them. There were like when he calls Ben Roethlisberger decent at best. Maybe he could have put in there, hey, at his age, he's losing right. a step. Or you could have said those. You know, when you say Rodgers and Brady don't suck, like you're st- yeah, like you could have been funny, a little bit though. more. Yeah, right. Exactly. Exactly. It is pretty funny. Did you uh, ever? Did you ever get to be in GQ? Did you ever do a shoot for them? I did. I did do a GQ shoot. I, um, that's they, what I thought. I, yeah. I thought you did. It wasn't like because I was so super like, uh, well dressed or anything. It was, they were doing like a different suit types for different body types type of issue. Um, and it had me, it had Apollo Ono, who was like the skater. Uh, and it had a, it's, I forget who the other guy was. And they were fitting us for suits, uh, that would best like kind of accentuate like our body type and so on and so forth. Right. And so, so it was Apollo a, Ono was obviously like a little dude, right? Like he's tiny, yeah, right? Yeah. He was smaller, <laughs> more, a little bit more stocky than I was. I was like the long lean athlete. And so it was super cool, man. Our photographer, I forget what her name was, but she was, uh, like she got us a little, you know, tipsy to kind of loosen us up because we weren't used to like being in front of the camera and it was, it was pretty cool, man. So let's, hey, let's move on to a little read and react because we got John Gruden. Right. I kind of teased this off the top. Um, he's talking about Martavis Bryant and he says, um, I used to go to Bush Gardens in Tampa. Uh, you know, you go to Bush Gardens and they got a white tiger. You go 12, 13 times. I went to Bush Gardens and the white tiger was always in his cage. Well, the white tiger came out today, referring to Bryant. Bryant came out. I don't know if you get that analogy, but sometimes he comes out to play and sometimes he doesn't. And it's good to see him because he's really special, uh, like the white tiger. Ooh, I think you can gain a lot of insight in that one. First of all, you have to remember Martavis Bryant was the guy who was disgruntled with the Steelers. Remember he was demanding a trade. We talked about that in the sure. fall. Wanted out there. So I think he's a player who kind of likes a little attention his way like he wants to be caught a little bit wants to feel like he's really important to this team so from that perspective i think it's really good that you know gruden gave him this nickname which is kind of cool like it'd be kind of badass to be called the white tiger when you're out there but i thought it was pretty it was also a subtle jab at him saying sometimes he wants to play and sometimes he wants to stay in his cage that to me is gruden saying we got to have you practice like you're the white tiger that's out all the time that wants to go at it as opposed to a guy who kind of might stay to his own and not have the best practice habits. That's kind of what I'm reading between the lines. Uh, yeah, I get that. I guess my question to John Gruden is, are like we in 1999? Like you're not in Tampa, bro. That who out in LA knows anything about the damn white tiger at Bush Gardens? Let, like Martavius Bryant doesn't. I promise you that. So while you might have read between the lines, I know who didn't. Martavis Bryant has no idea what John Gruden's talking about in that statement. One hundred percent. No idea. No, everybody's like Bush Gardens. What the heck is Bush he talking Gardens? About? <laughs> so he's also so also he's got his old coaches actually not making things very much easier for him. So the, so Jack Del Rio, former head coach of the Raiders, he comes out and says on Khalil Mack, "You got to pay the man." Mack is a total package, great player, and even better person. That's stating the obvious. Like everybody knows that. And I don't, I wonder how Gruden feels about the former coach saying, yeah, cause I'm sure Gruden's like feeling the same thing, but all, oftentimes it's not the head coach's decision. It's the front office and he's probably as frustrated as anybody that they can't get Khalil Mack on the field. Yeah. Well, first and foremost, I think you got to talk to the man, right? Like that's been the bigger issue for me is like having some, some communication. If, if in fact, you are frustrated with the front office and you want Khalil Mack signed, there should be an open dialogue between you and Khalil so you guys are on the same page when, if and when you get him back in training camp. So I think the more telling thing like there is that they haven't really spoken, but you can't feel good and it's never a good look um, for a former coach to be kind of throwing shade um, and talking about what his pr- uh, prior employee or employer should be doing uh, with their business. 
Right. And he's stating the obvious. I mean, and that's his guy. I mean, he coached him for a few years. So he's obviously got a pretty good relationship with him. And that's like the best way to gain like credibility with the players. If he wants to, you know, get back to be a head coach again, it's absolutely that's the way to do it. No doubt. So Rockets GM Daryl Morey, this is what his quote on LeBron, uh, being basketball's goat. He says, but if you basically isolate that and also look at the career he's had, frankly, I think at this point it's become a bit of a big margin. Actually, where he's come out ahead. I know that's a little controversial. Now the, the statement alone, it's like so convoluted and it, it's so broken up grammatically that it doesn't make sense, but I guess where he's coming from is in today's world of analytics, like analytically speaking, LeBron is by a wide margin the GOAT. I think he's, I think he's onto something too though, because I think when it's all said and done, the only thing that LeBron won't have is the six rings, but I think he's going to get them in every other meaningful category in the NBA. When you're going to look at total points scored, assists, rebounds, like he's going to have MJ in almost every category because he's played so much longer. But I don't think that's how you should necessarily look at the GOAT. Just the same way I don't think you could say, hey, MJ's the GOAT just because he has six rings. I think you have to really look at the player themselves, the impact they made on their teams, kind of the the way they play when they have the ball in their hands. I think that has to be a part of the discussion too. Uh, yeah, I have this argument a lot. I had it the other day, with, or discussion rather, with my trainer uh, about and this. And just goal. so we're official, like you're yeah. on Team MJ, right? I'm Team MJ, yeah, but I yeah. grew up – but I am I am moving more towards like a neutral position on this, and I'm going to tell you why. Like LeBron – first of all, LeBron's won championships with two teams. So why he doesn't have six and he's lost in the finals, he's been able to move, start anew, and win another championship. Mike, for the most part, was in one place. Things were set around him, and even when he took – that year off, they kept that nucleus of the team for the most part. So that was like plug and play for Mike. So LeBron has done it in Miami. LeBron has done it in Cleveland. If LeBron should go to LA and get another one, I mean, you're talking about a guy who can come into your franchise. You hit the reset button every time he lands and he's able to get you to a championship within two, three year window. Like that's something that Mike can't say that he did. Um, also I make does the argument. Does it matter to you? Does it matter to you? Would the Warriors have to be intact for that to happen? Like, does no. he have to beat this super team? Nope. Just, just a championship. Doesn't nope. matter who he does it again. If he yeah. wins that title. If he's able to take teams that went from like what they went 30 games last year, like if he's able yeah. to do that and within a two year window, like flip it and be winning championships, then I'm not saying that's a greater feat than what Mike did, but I'm saying now you're, you're like, dude, you're squarely in the conversation for me being able to say, I can put a team on your back everywhere you go and you're going to get him to a championship. And then, in terms of on the court, while Mike and even Kobe to some degree were wired to just be complete assassins and score the heck out of the ball and you want them to close games, uh, neither of them had to carry the team the way LeBron does. Like, LeBron has to do everything, man. Like, a lot of those, like, yeah. Kobe and Mike had setup guys, right? They had guys that brought the ball up the court most of the time. You know, they, they had guys that did the lion's share of the rebounding, uh, and, and stuff like that. They were, they were finishers. Like, LeBron does all of that. He is, like MJ, Scottie Pippen, Horace Grant, um, John Paxson kind of rolled into one player. Maybe not as good on the top end scoring or as Mike, but like he does all of that. And so I gotta kind of have him in the conversation. And I still take Mike, but man, I'm not as, I'm not dismissing, um, I'm not dismissing LeBron in this conversation anymore. He's, he's in it. Um, so you, go ahead. No, I was going to say, a lot of times when I see quotes that are made out there, I think, oh, my boy Rajah would have said that. If he was still in the league, he would have said something like that. So CJ McCollum, he comes out, he's talking, and then this is like the hottest topic in the NBA. It's, hey, what, you know, do you, do you like the fact when Kevin Durant leaves the Thunder and goes to Golden State and Boogie Cousins joins them when they're already that good? So his comment was, 
I would never do anything of that nature. I think that's disgusting. I was not built like those guys. I was raised differently. I think some players will take that route, but most guys have too much pride. They want to do well or certain organizations that are not going to jump on the bandwagon. I think that is a Rajah Bell quote, like right there. Am I right? No. No. No, no, you're not. I mean, listen, uh, to some degree, yes. Like I, I, like, I don't know that I would be jumping on if I, if now I wasn't like the caliber of a Kevin Durant or a LeBron where I would have to be concerned with what my legacy was in terms of being a goat. And if I had that to concern myself with, maybe, maybe I wouldn't. But the player that I was like, look, I left a, a team in Utah that didn't make the playoffs and I jumped ship and went to Phoenix, who was already one of the hottest teams in the NBA. Like I wanted to play there and part of. My decision making process with my agent when we knew, you know, that, that the Suns would have interest was like make a list of like your top five teams and where you want to go. Figure out and prioritize like what, what's important to you. Uh, winning was, but more importantly, like the culture, having fun. Like I knew Steve Nash. Um, I knew that their atmosphere was kind of laid back and they had a good time and they shared the heck out of the ball and it looked like it was fun to play there. Like that was of a lot of importance to me. And so, Generally speaking, good organizations, like good companies, stuff like that, they're run well and they attract talent. So I, I'm not going to beef with guys who decide they want to go play for a well-run organization who has a chance to be the best in the business, whether that's in, like, I don't know, computer sales or software engineering or, or in the NBA or NFL. So I don't really have the beef with it from, from like my perspective, but if I were like LeBron or Kevin Durant or someone like that, I guess, you know, m- maybe I'd have to worry about what they would say about me at the end of the day in that goat conversation, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So there's, so I always get trash talk on Twitter. Like the trolls are always out there. So CJ, after he made these comments, he had this girl, Jennifer Williams at chalk delight, 1980. That's a great handle, by the way. She said, win a playoff game, then talk. And all he did was respond that I'm trying, Jennifer. So good for him for responding to her. And at least he is. He's right. He is trying to win it. He might not have as many weapons as some of these other teams. But he's yeah. saying, I'm trying. Good for him for saying no, it. And I'm with that, too. Like, dude, I got no beef with the dudes who want to knock off, knock off the Giant. Like, I respect that 100%. Um, yep. So Lane Johnson on, on the Pats fans, right? Lane Johnson, obviously, he's had his, his beefs with, with New England and their fans. This was his quote. He says, oh, yeah, I hope so. I hope they raise hell. They can cuss me. They can say whatever they want. At the end of the day, I'm not blocking them. I'm blocking guys on the edge. So it really doesn't matter what they say. Uh, I know that I'm not going to be well-liked. This team is not going to be well-liked going there. So it's going to basically bring out our best. I love it. Like, call out the fans. He's right. And it's. I think, see, these are the types of things that I think you want to see in the NFL again. Like, get the fans to be more passionate. That's my biggest complaint with the NFL and the difference between college football and the NFL college football you don't have to challenge the fans to get loud i could see the pats fans getting a little bit spoiled they've got all these championships these super bowls they're probably not that loud when you get there and he's saying bring it on let's go like it is a better environment i liked playing on the road when it was crazy and it was loud and it was hostile like there's something about it that's just it fuels you it's exciting like i love that atmosphere um i I love electric atmospheres too they're fun to play in. i i you have to be careful when you're like antagonizing fans because they are (laughs) fanatics and some of them, yes. and this is very real, like it happened to me in LA, like some of them, you know, I was walking down the street in LA, um, during like our Christmas, you know, before our Christmas games one year and I was on Rodeo, I had my new baby and I had my wife and my parents were there and, you know, I had some knucklehead stop his car in the middle of like one of those side streets there and start MFing me in front of my family. And so when you're antagonizing 
like fans, sometimes they don't just leave that, you know, in the arena or in, in, in the stadium. Like then you gotta deal with repercussions off, off the field. So I would just be careful, but I, I'm with you. I love anything that's like electric in my work environment in terms of on the field, but you gotta be careful messing with them off the field. Uh, let's go, let's go to break real quick, dude. We got, um, you have to hear it next. You have to see it. Um, and we'll get some fighting in sports. All of that coming up next on Off the Bench with Canel and Bell. Quick honey, they going at it. Next thing you know, I feel a breeze, kind of feel like a light tornado just going right by me. It's the bullpen. I'm like, dang, my reaction time is way off. So I'm like, shoot, let me catch up with these people. By the time I got there, we was all just chilling, staring at each other. <laughs> and literally, I thought about brightening the mood, and I was just going to get in a karate pose. Like, come on. But I didn't do it. And that was it. That's basically most brawls, for outfielders anyway. Because by the time you get there, it's over. That is the best breakdown I think I've ever seen of a baseball fight. And he is 100% spot on. Andrew McCutcheon, like baseball, needs to bring out more of him. Like, he's that personality. We need to see more of that. He's a great dude. He's had an incredible career. He needs to come out more and do, do stuff like that all the time. Yeah, he, uh, there was a pretty funny video. I always wonder, like, when people are making those videos and they keep doing the clips of themselves, um, yeah. I feel like they have like a few too many because he had some really funny stuff in there and like the eyes when he said like I was, I was, you know, when he had like the dead eyes looking yeah. around and then they had something about like showing up to a party late and they had given out the birthday cake and he yells at his mom like, mom, why are we late? And then some of it was dead. So I feel like they should have, he should have done a little better editing, but, uh, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm all for baseball fights. I love it. Yeah, for sure. All right. What all do we right. have to see? All right, so we got our boy uh, Acuna the other night at three uh, leadoff home runs against the Marlins. So you know what you do if a guy beat you that bad? You go Give inside, and sometimes it runs in a little too hard, and then you got to respond, and then bench is clear. And like Andrew McCutcheon just said, nothing really happens. Nothing really happens. Everyone has to flex. Everyone uh, yep. is that is that written rule in baseball? Like if you if you got three home runs leading off games, you're, it's an automatic peg in the back. <laughs> No, it shouldn't be, but I think that's the pitching frustrations coming out there. But there's also something to be said about trying to attack a guy and trying to pitch him inside. The difference is it looks a little bit more suspect when it happens right away, first, you know, first thing, the next game, uh, the first pitch, always that's a little bit more suspect. And you better get your butt off the bench when you're out there. Like in the NBA, they have the rule of, you know, you can't step on the court. Baseball, it's you better get out there to have your boys back for sure. What I, I hear that, and now in the NBA, it's you better get off. Like you better not leave the court because you don't want to get that fine or suspension. But you better be <laughs> right. up out of your seat, right? So you better right. be like peeking, like, bro, Just hold me case. back, hold me back. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay, um, so let's get to some of these fights, Danny. Like we've had a lot of pitches mm -hmm. thrown at people. Andrew McCutcheon was breaking down a baseball fight. But what's been trending this year a lot in training camp is these NFL scraps. Um, and yesterday you had another one. I guess these are in these Niners-Texans practices. They've got these combined practices, which we talked about yesterday. You said you loved them. But there appear yeah. to be a whole lot of beef going down. So this this started like immediately, right? Yeah, they're starting to go at it. They're talking. Most of these, I mean, there's some pretty good punches on. Uh, you got to keep your helmet on, first of all. Like if you're in a fight and you take your helmet off just to get into it, that's like the dumbest thing you could do. But think it like it's, it goes back to this. Like this is a lot of times it goes back to a couple things. One, it's always trash talk because guys are talking so much during practice and you're, you're with them where they are within earshot 
more often. Like if you're in a game, there's a crowd, you can't yell across the field. But in practice, in between drills, you're almost walking right next to the people. Like a lot of times you're sharing the water, like you're getting stuff from the same spot. So you talk trash, you're right next to the dude. The other thing it's about a lot of times is the speed of practice. Because some guys and some teams specifically, they have different paces and they have different coaches that are riding them, telling them to do certain things. So you might have a wide receiver who's used to, you know, going all out full speed, like every single route that he runs. And then you got a DB on the other team that they're playing that might be like, hey, my guys usually take care of me and I don't have to run full speed so I don't look bad. And he's getting tired. So then all of a sudden he jams and gets a little bit more physical and then things just escalate really, really fast. It's all like, it's just, and it does, I don't think it's out of control. I don't think we've seen more this year than any other year. I think we're just seeing them more because there's more access to practices and fans have their cell phones out ready to go. So you never miss any of these fights. Yeah. Those are, uh, those are some interesting points like the access now and the availability of your phone to just get it out. Everyone's waiting for it now. So as soon as anything starts to spark, they got the phone up looking for it. Um, you always and have most happen of to them, be- most of them are pretty like, field isolated like right. you would even see like later in the practice they're fine or after practice they'll go like dap each other out and they'll say hey man what's up like hey we got after we scrapped or whatever the worst case scenario is when you see something come back either you know like when the nba we've seen fights break out in the yeah, tunnel like that's games, a brawl it keeps boiling over so you're almost better i think as coaches like let them get it out of their system a little bit on the field and then they're more likely to forget about it because if they got like- something left over they're going to want to finish it later I always think, and I had this, I had this discussion last night about a youth football program because their practices were, are so slow. Um, and they're so like, this is my son's team and they came out and they scrimmaged last night and they just looked flat. They weren't really swarming to the ball. There wasn't a sense of energy and it, the practices, when your practices have that type of tenor and that type of tone, um, your teams are going to play like that. So I've always subscribed to when I'm practicing kids at the high school level and stuff, I want to put them in as much competitive situation as I can. And I'm almost looking for it to boil um, to a point where they may want to fight each other. I'm not going to let them fight, but I want them as emotionally invested in the competition um, aspect of the practice as I can get them. And sometimes it requires you almost getting them to that point because that's how you get guys to really tap in to that next gear. And that's the way you prepare uh, for playing real games. So, you know, sometimes it's going to boil coach, over. Every huh. coach will say to the media, oh, we can't have fighting at practice. But in the back of their mind, they kind of like it. Like they want to see that dog in you. They, they want to sure. see you fight and scrap. So they kind of like it. But they're always worried about that a player can get hurt. Because that is the worst case scenario. My rookie year on the Giants, we had a center named Brian Williams. And he was like a 10-year vet. And he still probably had three or four years left in his career if he wanted them. Got into a fight with Bernard Holsey. He was a defensive lineman. They got into a scrap. And they were just like, it was like all these scraps we've been seeing. He got poked in the eye and he was <sighs> done. Never played football again. Like that's that's when coaches really have to kind of judge like, hey, we like the fighting. We like these guys getting after it, but you've got to kind of control it because, you know, you have worst case scenarios where guys get hurt. Yeah, for sure. Um, and all of this is like leading up to these preseason games, which we've, we've got a few of them tonight. Um, the first one on our slate, we've got the Eagles and the Patriots. And so, uh, Tom Brady comes out. He's set to play and he said, uh, on Tuesday about him and Belichick, I think our priorities are the same, uh, that they've always been. And I think, that's why we get along so well. We're here to win. Um, so I like, I want your take on that, but I also want to ask you, which one of these teams do you think is most likely at the end of the day to get back to the Super Bowl? 
So anytime I hear like Brady say, and the specific quote is, I think that's why we get along so well. I'm, I'm like, I just kind of laugh. Like it's like you roll your eyes and you're like, come on, dude. Like you guys, they, they're not hanging out. They're not chummy on the off season. Like I, don't, I think they probably get away and more so Brady, like gets out of there as fast as he can after the season is over. And is like, I'm taking my family to Costa Rica. I'm going to be over here. And even more so recently, when he doesn't go to the offseason workouts. I think he's had it. Like, you spend that many years with Belichick, it's going to take its toll on you mentally more than anything. Like, the grind and the constant grind. But where I do agree, and this is where I kind of, because I'm nervous for the Patriots dynasty, but this is where I feel like they'll probably be okay, is Brady and Belichick do have that one common goal, and they're able to compartmentalize all their differences and all their issues and say, let's focus on this goal. So that's the one thing that they kind of have going for them, where you're like, yep, they're hungry. They want to do it again and get that other championship. Yep. Um, Jets at Redskins, um, what type of pressures on Dre Gruden this season in Washington? Uh, they've been 28-35-1 uh, and 35 and one, uh, in four seasons with the Skins, one playoff appearance. You know, I, I hate the conversation, the hot seat conversation, because we do it every year, like which coach is on the hot seat. Jay Gruden is one of them. And they uh, – this is one – where I can't wait to see how it unfolds because I'm a Kirk Cousins fan and because I think he got screwed over by the Washington front office and they never showed him the respect that he deserved, never gave him that longer-term deal. I hope that Kirk Cousins balls out, and I hope the Redskins don't look very good. And I don't even know what side of the camp Jay Gruden fell on, but, man, did he throw him under the bus last season at the end of the year when, and I think we talked about it, I think we heard it on the podcast, Jay Gruden came out and said, well, you know, good quarterback, good quarterbacks don't have seven or nine seasons. Something like that. Like, he just threw him under the bus. It was a really backhanded, like, insult. So for that, like, I hope that, I hope that, you know, Cousins lights it up. And I don't want, I don't want to see somebody fired, but he does have a ton of pressure because they're all in on Alex Smith and they're saying, moving forward, we're going to do this. But he's under 500. He's 28 and 35 and one in his four seasons. And he's had enough time to get his philosophies, his get system, everything in place. It's time to see results. I hear that. All right, so the last one is the Steelers and the Packers. Um, the Steelers got this backup quarterback competition, but I don't think Landry Jones is playing tonight. So it leaves you with Josh Dobbs and Mason Rudolph. Mason was their third-round pick, so you got to imagine there's some investment there. From a Josh Dobbs perspective, like he's going to go out there and get some opportunity tonight. What's the mindset like uh, in a situation where they've already got three guys? What are you trying to do? These two guys right here, Josh Dobbs and Mason Rudolph, and probably and Landry Jones too, these are the guys that were in my position like when I was towards the end of my career. It was right. you better play well in the preseason if you want to justify your roster, you know, your roster spot. And there is so much pressure in that spot because you know, and it's crazy, like sometimes you might get like the second team and a couple first stringers when you start playing, and then as opposed to the next guy, we'll get all second teamers and maybe some really edge, you know, bottom line roster guys, and you're facing a better group of guys across from you. At the quarterback position, a lot of times it does rely on who's on the field with you, and especially in the preseason. Like, it's such a crapshoot of who's going to be out there, but it is so stressful. I'm sure these guys have been feeling it. And I'm curious, with Landry Jones not playing, if he doesn't play, like, is that them protecting him so he doesn't get hurt so they can cut him? Like, that's what that message uh-huh. kind of tells me. Because that was the situation I was in. I didn't play at all my last preseason. And I was kind of ticked about it, too. Because you want to showcase your skills in case you do get cut. Then you can get signed by another team. 
but the Broncos didn't want me to get hurt, so they couldn't cut me. Like, if I would have gotten hurt, I would have been paid the year. And so they're trying to, like, it's just, it's kind of the messed up game of the NFL. But that'll be one of those many quarterback battles that we're going to see unfold in this preseason. Well, it's always funny in pro sports when you're trying to read between the lines, like coming up to trade deadline if you in the NBA. Like if you're used to being on the court um, and they stop playing you, like you just kind of fall out of the rotation, they're doing exactly what you just talked about. Like they're trying to protect you so that you can't get injured because you know you're in trade conversations and you're like going home every night wondering, you know, where am I going? Who's trading for me? Yeah. What's the deal? Yeah. Um, anyway, I think I think we missed our targeted time, dude. So, Coco, you got to take us to break real quick. <laughs> Uh, when we come back, we'll talk a little moving the line and we'll get to socially relevant with Hannah. All right, welcome back. We're going to get into a segment, Danny, that we're going to call moving the line. We're going to talk a little college football. Uh, I'm going to give you a couple teams. Uh, we're going to go with our over-under uh, wins this season. The first team is going to be your own Florida State Seminoles. They've got their over-under set at eight wins. So I had saw the line about a month ago was at Florida State seven and a half. And I was like, jump all over the over. Like that's easy money for you to make on Florida State. But then I get nervous anytime I feel that way because Vegas is usually right. But I do think Willie Taggart, he's got a lot of talent on this roster. He's getting DeAndre Francois back healthy, who I think can really run his system uh, really efficiently. So I'm going to say over. Their schedule's pretty tough. I mean, Clemson at home is going to be a brutal game. Miami on the road is going to be a tough game. But Louisville's not going to be the same. Um, you know, NC State's not going to be the same with all those defenders they lost. Florida at home at the end of the year, I think they can get nine wins and possibly ten for a good year. But if they're eight and four, that's probably just like probably what they're going to get like if you said hey what would you bet it would probably be eight wins but i would take the over on this one i can't i mean i'm a homer too i gotta i gotta take the Knowles. yeah what what could they say about you if you didn't take the over on that I mean, that's a, <laughs> right. uh, no more tallahassee for you i'm gonna go over too i i agree with you man i think you got miami's gonna be a tough game uh obviously clemson's a tough game uh, game uh the, they're two out there lingering for me like you got notre dame um i don't know what they look like admittedly uh and virginia tech uh, Virginia Tech. Yeah, Virginia Black Tech week one. Yeah. It's actually at home. It's actually a home game. We need to go. Like seriously, we need yeah, to get like, on our boss port, hook it up. We need to be in Tallahassee at Madison Social, at my spot right there before the game. Bring oh. the crew. Let's go. We need to you know make what, it happen. You know what game you're sleeping on though? And I went to see the Canes play this team last year. Um, and they're oh. scary. I don't know why. Syracuse at the Carrier Dome. Like they, yeah. they had a big upset. Didn't they beat Clemson there last year? Was that, was that, didn't they? Uh, yeah, that was the game. Yeah. Yeah. They, also, the other team is Boston College. A lot of people are hyping up Boston College this year, but I think, uh, thankfully they have them at home this year, so they'll be all right. All right, cool. Let's move to my alma mater. And I don't know why yeah. would you guys do this? This is like, it's come on, man. Real stuff. We got, and we had Butch Davis on the other day, right? And it was a great yeah. interview. So they're over under set at five wins. Uh, they got Indiana, o, o Dominion, UMass. Uh, they got Miami on the schedule this year. Uh, and then they round out with their conference USA scheduled Marshall, Charlotte, um, Florida Atlantic's another good team. Uh, uh, over under at five, Danny. What you got? Do it to him, man. Give him the over. Give me oh. the over for FIU. That, I, I can't wait. I'm going to get to call that first game. Indiana, it's a Big Ten opponent. I think there's a chance. I'm just hoping the game's close. I'm hyping it up. I can't pick the game. But I think there's a chance. Indiana comes out, and they haven't experienced humidity and heat like they've seen in Miami. Like, they're going to be gassed out there. Maybe you can jump on them. The Miami game's gonna be a loss. FAU, nice little rivalry, but FAU's probably a little bit better, have a little bit better talent on that roster. But across the board, I think they can scrap out six wins. Yeah, I'm with you, dude. I mean, I don't know half of the teams on their schedule and what they look like in terms of <laughs> like, how good they are, but that's my damn FIU Golden Panthers, so I'm going over all the way. 
All the way. Right. I'm coming to Sweetwater tomorrow. Um, <laughs> let's keep it moving. Let's go to the NFL real quick. We got, uh, throw the three games tonight, the Eagles and the Pats, um, set at minus three and a half, I guess. Um, I don't, All right, here's help the me thing, with this, Raza. dude. I don't, you know, I don't here's gamble. Help me with this. What is this? So, so the Eagles are a, uh, I'm looking at this. I think it's, uh, I don't know. Debo or Coco have to help me out on this. Was the Patriots being the home team or three and a half point favorite? The Pegasus, so the home team is three and a half point favorite. The line okay. is 42 and a half. You can take the over under on that. Here's the thing. If you're listening to this and you're seriously considering putting down a bet on the preseason NFL, I got a hotline number for you call because you need help. <laughs> like you really do. You should not be touching the NFL preseason unless like you are a degenerate gambler if that's the problem. And I'm sure we have some of those people listening to us. Just don't do it. Put it down until the regular season starts. Cause all these, who the heck knows who's going to win? Like you look at, like I guess I'll take the Pats. They're playing at home, but who, who the heck knows? Uh, the Jets at Redskins. Redskins are a, a one point favorite playing at home. I don't know. What if Sam Darnold comes out there and lights him up? We don't, we haven't even seen Sam Darnold play, but one game. There's no way to get an intelligent beat on these games. So for that, forget it. Don't touch you. any of them. Stay uh, away from them. Hannah, official picks. Hannah, take us take us to some socially relevant. Let's get off of this. All right, guys, it's time for socially relevant, where I break down what's happening around the world in social media. But first thing I have to say, Raja, you called Syracuse scary a little bit ago, and I'm yeah. still holding uh. on to that <laughs> music to my ears. <laughs> that's the game that we have to go to. But honestly, over to something that's a little bit scarier than all of that. So Jim Harbaugh knows three things very well, and that's football, khakis, and as it turns out. Hip-hop. The coach took time out of his busy schedule to pose with a former quarterback and current musician, Quavo, before the Drake and Migos concert at Little Caesars Arena in Detroit. But the best part about all of this is his caption. He said, quote, always great to see my friend Quavo. Appreciate him taking the time to stop by before his show tonight. No doubt Migos and Drake will knock everyone's socks off. <laughs> so, guys, no doubt about promise me, promise Please me stop. this. You will not proclaim that somebody will knock somebody else's socks off. Please keep stop. it bad and bougie. Please like that, keep it bad and bougie. Please stop. My friend Migos will knock your socks off. You know what this is all about? It's all about one thing. It's all about recruiting. He's all about like trying to make the young kids like, hey, look who I hang out with. That's the only reason he posts that. Like if, then, if Jim Harbaugh in a bubble is not taking a picture with with Quavo. With, He's with just Quavo. Not. Then dude, no. like you have have someone do the 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 tweet or the Instagram captioning for you. For like, you. It's all yeah. in the captions, bro. It's all in the <laughs> hashtags. You can't be talking about knock their socks off. You know what I did say yesterday? And I, I felt so old. I don't know how this came out of my mouth. My my uh my my little my baby girl was going to preschool for the first day and she came home she was there for like three and a half hours and my wife was going to get her and I, I don't know how it just came out of my mouth but I said like oh she's gonna be really tuckered out and I was like <laughs> who the hell says tuckered out like it's like a seventy five year old I do welcome to dad world like we're we're in dad world right now that's we fully embrace it just don't fight it just embrace oh it oh my god yeah. Brutal. All right, over to something that's just bad and not bougie. So down here in Fort Lauderdale, we know that the traffic is awful. But in Los Angeles, it's actually way worse, especially going to and from Dodger Stadium. But Elon Musk is here to have a solution. So the tech superhero said on Wednesday night, his company called The Boring Company announced their plans for this thing called the dugout loop. It would be a, quote, zero emissions, high-speed underground public transportation system from East Hollywood to Dodger Stadium. Now, the plan would be to transport 1,400 people to the stadium in the electric vehicle in less than four minutes. That number can eventually rise to about 2,800 fans, which is just about 5% of the stadium's 
capacity. He says the construction for this would take about 14 months. All I have to say is thank you, Elon Musk, for being in tune with what's necessary. Can we get this everywhere, please? Seriously, he's he's one of these dudes. I actually read his book. He's kind of like in the line of Steve Jobs. Like he's he's like one of the greatest inventors of our time. He's he's also a little off his rocker too. Like his stock has been one of those controversial things that's out there. But you go look at some of these videos and the way it looks. If he could ever get to the happen, it is futuristic type stuff. Like you're looking at stuff that is like 50 years down the road, and he's already like thinking, "Hey, I want to put it in next year." It's pretty insane. I hate traffic. <laughs> I I just genuinely hate traffic. It's why I don't go to any like. Uh, NBA games down in Miami or anything like that. So anything that will help alleviate that, I'm with it. So Elon, well done, bro. Yeah. All right. That's all for Socially Relevant. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Canel and Bell. Coming up next, Danny and Raja are going to break down leftovers. All this and more coming up next. You're watching Off the Bench. Uh, welcome back to Off the Bench with Canel and Bell. Uh, Danny, we're going to get into leftovers, but before we get into the topics that are on my my sheet. Do you like leftovers? Because I feel like you're either a leftover guy or you're not a leftover guy, right? There's no middle so, ground. I, it's certain foods, like obviously if you get a fish, like I'm not taking that home because it'll just smell up the car and stuff. But right. like pizza, absolutely. Like I'll do that. Are you a doggy bag guy? Absolutely. Like, I you, hate it. You do? Will, so you're like I my will, wife. She never takes anything from a restaurant. Never. So and it drives the, me nuts. I'm like, there are kids starving in Africa and we're sitting here just leaving my, food out here. You're my wife. Everything. You're my wife. My <laughs> wife last, yesterday I ate a piece of avocado toast. Like we went out for breakfast. Like, and it was like, I had a half of a half, so a quarter of a piece of toast with some avocado right. on it on my plate. And she was like, you want to take that home? Kyle might eat it later. I was like, Cindy, if you put that in a bag. Like, I am not driving home with you. Get out. Let's go. Uh, Wait, you carry the lead. You actually eat avocado toast? Come on, man. Avocado, yeah, really good. Really good. I told you I'm on a diet, bro. I'm trying to trim it down. Um, all right, but let's get to some of the stuff that is actually on my paper. So we've got, uh, Clemson, Clemson and LSU announced the future of the Death Valley series. Um, Clemson's going to be at home in 2025, LSU at home in 2026. Um, a lot of these big matchups, we talked about them being on neutral sites and so on and so forth. What are your top out of conference matchups that you're looking forward to this season? So we talked about, uh, the Florida State just had the series and it's Orlando and New Orleans. I was like, that's cool. They're still within close range, but if, there was ever a season where you had to have them home and home. It's the Death Valley reference. You have to do it with these because they both claim that theirs is the true Death Valley. So then they can have the battle for the supremacy for these. So for mine, the non-conference is that week one. It's Michigan-Notre Dame. I think that game is going to have huge implications for a lot of reasons. Like it's Harbaugh. It's really a lot of pressure on him this season. Like how is he going to do? Is he going to finally, you know, live up to the hype, to the expectations? And then I think people are sleeping on Notre Dame this season as a legit contender to make the playoffs. So I think that game is going to be insane. I know which one you're going with. Yeah, you already know, Miami. I'm trying to get to that, too. So if maybe if we could go to, like, Florida State, then we can – which which game is make first? Make it a whole Florida, weekend. Bro, I'm telling Make you. it a whole weekend. Um, I know we're supposed to rotate these, but I'm going to, I'm going to throw this one to you because it's probably near and dear to your heart. So college coaches, um, there's so many quarterback competitions going on, right? Like, what is the trend yep. now with taking guys down to the, to the last minute with the, these quarterback – uh, competition. So Michigan's got a battle. Uh, Jim Harbaugh's yet to name his starter. You know, obviously they got the situation going on at Florida. There's one in Oklahoma with Kyler Murray, who you would think would be just penciled in there. I think, you know, Bama's still got something going on. What's this trend these days? 
There's two reasons why coaches do it. One is sort of not that big of a deal, and you might think you can gain something. That's the, they'll try to tell you, hey, it's for competitive edge. Like, we don't want the opposing team to know who we're going to start in week one. They'll try to hold it out so you can't prepare for them. But the real reason, the second reason, and this is the one that's really messed up, is it's that so the guys don't transfer. And that's – all these coaches know in the back of their mind, they know who's going to start for them. But if you have, you know, Shea Patterson named the starting quarterback, Brandon Peters or one of these other young quarterbacks that they have on the roster, Dylan McCaffrey, uh, they might say, you know what, I don't have a chance to play, I'm going to go somewhere else. So they, they have these fake quarterback competitions that are really just to make the guys go. And if you look at the timing of it, a lot of times when they announce them, it's when the kid is already enrolled. Because you have to go to class. The minute you go to class, you're, you're owned by that school for a year. And a lot of times they'll hold them until the first day of class. And then once they go, they'll be like, okay, now we can name our starter. And that's a messed up reason to have a quarterback competition. Bro, I hate that so much. You know I hate that. Um, you're right. I hate that you're right because you're just – anyway, I know you have to protect your your school and you have to protect your program. Um, and I've always wondered about the – like four – three of the top 25 quarterbacks all electing to go to the same school. Like I was all for competition. Like I'm not running from anybody in terms of like, let's get out there. And if you beat me, you beat me. I beat you. I beat you. But I, I why would I go there when three other kids at my position are going there? And we're all top 20 kids. I never understood it, but I hate right. holding them until they're, I, I hate holding them until they're like, uh, un, until that last minute when they can't leave and then ruining a year of their, their college, like, existence yeah, i hate that no doubt so when we talked earlier about uh, fights in camp there's yeah. one thing you better do if you're going to get in a fight at practice with your own teammates don't hit somebody that the team likes a lot because that's what happened with uh gabe Wright. so he hit a player in practice punched him cut done out see ya right punch the player cut like that you better be careful you better know who you're punching who's who's out there what does it mean you're gonna get axed you're damn right don't like uh uh, Steve Nash, Allen Iverson, Dirk Nowitzki, like, uh, I'm trying to think whoever else I played with. Uh, when I got to Golden State and I was playing with, um, Steph Curry, like, it didn't matter what you did to me. I couldn't fight you. There was nothing right. that you could do. I would have to walk <laughs> right. away. And I didn't walk away from a lot, but when any, like, if they mean that much to the team, you better have enough sense to walk away. Luckily for this kid, like, he got picked up, uh, by the Raiders. Like, they claimed him, I yep. guess. Um, it, Hey, there's yeah, always a spot for you, you know. Just be careful who you're punching in this one. Don't go after uh, Derek Carr. Don't be punching him. You saw it with uh, – remember, uh, the, one of the best signings ever was in Rex Ryan after Geno Smith got punched in the face. I forget the dude's name on defense. And Rex, the former coach of Geno Smith, signed him with the Bills because he knew they were going to play him that year. Like, And he broke Geno Smith's jaw. Like, that was yeah. really messed up. And then Rex is like, we'll take him. We'll take him. We'll go troll. That was a, such a troll job for Geno Smith. That was kind of messed up. Oh, that's, that's what they a, do sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> what are you going to do, bro? Hey, look, yeah. it was good having you back today, dude. This is awkward. Me ending the show as usual. Uh, but I, <laughs> enjoy your meetings today. I said, I think you said you had a full day worth of meetings. All we, day. All day, load. baby. Better you than me. We've got David Sampson tomorrow. Uh, we'll be back as always. Follow us on Twitter at Canel and Bell and subscribe to us anywhere, uh, podcasts are found. Danny, it's been real. We'll be looking to see you Monday, buddy. Uh, thanks for joining us. You got it. See ya. 